0: Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Okay, this is the Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. Peren, at that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to, to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth. "'Beneath or in the waters below. "'You should not bow down to them or worship them, "'for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, "'punishing the children for the sin of the parents "'to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, "'but showing love to a thousand generations "'of those who love me and keep my commandments. "'You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, "'for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless "'who misuses his name. "'Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy.' as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Oh, the word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, you're hearing me, right? <clears throat> I'm losing a, a fight with the cold. So um, you're welcome for this sultry voice before you. <clears throat> um, good to be together always. And um, yeah, if you haven't been around, you know, we're, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy this summer, just chapters 4 through 11. Sorry, just get used to it. <clears throat> I was much better for service. But we're looking at this theme of covenant, and don't worry, it hurts a lot more than it sounds, so, you know, don't don't (laughs) worry about it. Uh, We're looking at this theme of covenant. What does it mean to be in a covenant relationship with the living God of the universe? And these core themes associated with covenant. Last week, we looked at what is, what's God's heart towards us, towards his people? We saw this beautiful description, God describes his people as his treasured possession. We looked at this fact that God has this zealous heart for his people. He loves them. He pursues them. And with that comes a a certain kind of jealousy. He doesn't want to share us with other gods. Uh, He wants us to himself. But also with that comes mercy. Even when we fail him, even when we wander, um, he's there with mercy because he's a faithful covenant partner who never gives up on, on us. So we look at God's heart for us. And today I want to ask the question in this covenant, what is our heart towards God supposed to be? And what's our, what's our role in this covenant commitment? And the answer essentially is going to be, let's see, uh, that we treasure him the way he treasures us. that just as we are his treasure possession, that um, he would be our treasured possession. We have uh, six values at our church. You may not know them, but the first one is this, treasuring God above all else. We want to be a group of people who step out into the world in the midst of everything that's out there and treasure God above everything that this world has to offer. We want want Him to reign in our hearts as the most compelling, most valuable, most beautiful, most awesome reality in our lives, even in the midst of lots of other good realities. And so we're going to talk about this morning, uh, talk about that by looking at the first several of the Ten Commandments, especially the the first two. Um, I just want to acknowledge... This is not a ser- series on the Ten Commandments, um, but just to acknowledge we're entering into like the Holy Grail right here of God's covenant with Israel at Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Uh, they hold a very special place in the story. If you've read the story, you know these Ten Commandments alone were spoken by God, by his voice to the people. These Ten Commandments alone were put on those two stone tablets, put in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they hold a very special place in the covenant. They're really the foundational commands. All the other 600 plus commands are just commentary. Oh, thank you. I've got one of these up here too, but this, this is even better. Thanks, Stephen. <clears throat> um, I don't know why you thought I needed that. <laughs> um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, these... these um, These Ten Commandments, they hold a special place in human history. I mean, you think about, um, this is the most profound ethical code in all of ancient society. And I would argue that 3,000 years has not really improved on these ten basic postures. And all all you have to do is spend about a minute imagining what the world would be like if people simply followed these ten principles, right? If, If God reigned in people's hearts... Uh, imagine parents, if kids honored their parents everywhere, um, imagine if once a week everyone just chilled and stopped and took a break and a Sabbath, how much better off we'd be. Imagine if there was no murder, there was no adultery, there was no stealing, there's no false testimony, you, you wouldn't even need police forces in this kind of world, or if, if no one coveted what wasn't theirs. I mean, a minute of reflection tells you this would be a radically different world if all we did was follow these 10 principles. So we're going to look at especially the first two today uh, and ask this question, what is our heart supposed to be towards this God who sees us as his treasured possession? Uh, And I want to just set these commandments within the context of the story today and take some time to think about that together. You know, this is given to Israel on their way from Egypt into Canaan. And so this was given to a people who were in the midst of very polytheistic cultures, cultures that believed in many gods, right? So they had just come out of Egypt, and they had known all the gods of the Egyptians, been brought out of that they're about to come into Canaan and encounter all the Canaanite gods. So all these false gods in ancient society, you had gods of fertility, gods of war, Um, gods of rain, right? local gods, and then all these images that people would make, literally physical images to represent their gods. Let me um, show you two of these images. Uh, Bruce, I cannot make that change. Can you? There you go. Thanks. Let's see if I have control again. Yes, I do. Great. Okay, so here's two ancient idols. You've got uh, this bull probably representing Baal. Uh, uh, you've got, obviously, on the right hand, uh, this little racy for Father's Day. Sorry, but uh, it's obviously a fertility, a fertility goddess. I just want you to get a, get a sense of what these things look like. And uh, this these would be the temptations for Israel. Okay? I mean, you think about, last week we talked about how God sh- showed up, but he doesn't take on a form. Right? Deuteronomy 4, the Lord spoke out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you didn't see a form. So their experience of God was of this this fire that would speak to them. You think about how radical that experience must have been, this God that we can't get our hands around, we can't see, but he speaks, and he summons us, he calls us, he, he asks things of us, he demands things of us. It's a little overwhelming, it's thrilling and awesome. It's also a little overwhelming, and, and you can't really control it and get your hands around it. So the temptation was always to go back to these idols. At least we can kind of touch these and see them and maybe feel a sense of control over them versus this God who just tells us to do stuff, and we're totally out of control. And what I want to say this morning is that it's tempting to, to think, oh, well, this is totally irrelevant to us, right, right? Uh, you know, in 21st century American culture, I mean, uh, I don't, there's probably not many polytheists in this room, right? None of us are worshiping Baal or Asherah or Zeus or any of the ancient gods, so this is uh, probably not that uh, relevant, but I think a little uh, introspection re- reveal that the, uh, the reality that idolatry uh, continues to be as relevant today uh, as it was 3,000 years ago. In terms of there are these false gods, these idols, these things that our hearts cling to, look to for, for security, that we want to worship, that we want to give um, you know, our hearts to, give us a sense of fulfillment and longing outside of God, going to created things rather than this invisible crater to, to kind of make sense of our lives. Um, this is what Paul says. This is the fundamental problem of the human heart They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, right? We look to the things that we can see and touch and and taste and kind of control, and we give our hearts over to those things. Uh, A.W. Tozer begins his famous book, Uh, Pursuit of God, with these words. Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. They were made for man's uses, but they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God without a thousand gifts which God had showered on him. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have now taken over. Men now have no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But now stubborn usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne of our hearts. These are these false gods, these modern-day idols. And so I, I want to just tease this out a little bit more, and then we'll look at these commands. What does modern-day idolatry look like? What are the things we go to, the counterfeit gods, the false gods, that enter into our hearts and take up residence as the, the preeminent thing that we look to, um, two ways I want to think about this today. one is I think it 's helpful just to acknowledge the cultural big three this is these are, this is my own opinion. you might have a, another top three, but where we live, <laughs> these are the big three: wealth, achievement, and image. okay We just need to acknowledge this is. This is the water that we're swimming in here in Orange County. This is what people pursue for security, a sense of significance, a sense of identity. And so it's very likely that these are going to tug at our hearts as well, given the context that we live in today, right? Um, The other way, I, I think the most helpful way for me has been the most helpful phrasing of thinking about modern idolatry is to think in terms of disordered attachments. This is a phrase that goes centuries back. Um, But the idea is that our hearts get attached to certain things, okay? Um, They could be bad things like drugs. They could be good things like our kids, okay? It could be just about anything. But our hearts get attached in ways that are disordered, meaning uh, this thing is, is too high on the order of priorities in my life. This thing is in the place where God should be. I'm looking to this thing, to find deep significance and satisfaction rather than to God. So they're disordered in the sense that they might be good things, but they're getting in the way of God reigning in my heart and mind, right? And, and one of the best litmus tests for, for what a disordered, what your disordered attachments are is this. Consider things that when they're threatened in your life you feel an inordinate amount of anxiety or fear or anger or frustration or resentment, okay? that might, Underneath that might be lurking an idol, a disordered attachment. So let me give you a couple examples. Some of us in this room may be conflict, relational conflict. When we find out that someone is disappointed with us or angry with us, and we're going to have to navigate that, that just turns our whole inner world upside down. We are literally freaking out, okay? We don't know what to do with that. It stirs so much anxiety and in, in all of that. Well, it's very possible that underneath all of that, you know, I mean, you think of like Jesus, like it seems like he could navigate conflict and he was okay. He would kind of just move, move through. Why can't I do this? Why is this turning my whole world upside down? Okay, it's possible Sometimes that underneath that is lurking this idol of, let's say, a, a, approval. All right, this need for human approval or human praise or, or, or being liked by everybody. That could be an idol for some of us, okay, depending on what, what the situation is. Um, or how about this one? We're going to talk about the Sabbath command today. For some of us in this room, if someone said, I want you to observe a Sabbath today, I want you to disconnect from your devices no technological devices. Disconnect from work. You know, I want you to go out to your backyard for an hour. I want you to sit down with a cup of coffee and just chill. Don't do anything. Just sit, observe, watch the world happen. Watch the birds. Some of us in this room, that would stir up so much restlessness. Like, you are, I am freaking out. I don't know what to do with myself in this hour of silence. I literally, I never have this kind of space in my life. And, and this, is, this is so unsettling for me. Okay, well, what, what is that? <laughs> well, it's possible that underneath that there's an idol lurking of, a, of something like achievement, right? I have found an identity and achievement. I don't know what to do when I'm not achieving or doing or distracting myself, okay? This is this making sense? Okay? Um, I'm trying to think of any other, any other ones. Um, it can be our kids, <laughs> right? right? My four year old told me that um, he doesn't like me anymore, right? <laughs> shoot right and I'm flipping out okay I don't have a four-year-old who's a boy but you know what I'm saying um and I my world is turned upside down because a four-year-old told me in a moment of discipline that right okay okay well there might be something underneath that it's a four-year-old right they probably do let you know I mean there could be some sort of you're finding a certain kind of identity in this relationship that maybe is is more than God would have for you or um how about this one uh last one uh, you 're hosting people for dinner tonight, and um, and you you know, 're you're, you're running late for whatever reason, so you 're going to get in the house about ten minutes before they get there, and the house is still a bit of a mess, and you realize there 's not enough time before they get here for the house to be what I want it to be and it you are that makes you you are flipping out, you are spinning inside like I do not know what to do i 've got to call them and have them show up an hour later or whatever it is, right. Okay, it's possible that underneath that there is a disordered attachment to a certain image. Okay, is there, are any of these hitting home a little bit? Some okay. Okay, so th- what makes these so um, tricky is a lot of these things are good things. They're gifts, kids, achievement, right, um, approval. These are good things, and so that's what can make it especially tricky. It's so easy to justify a certain kind of, I've actually allowed this thing to be a false God in my life, and I don't even realize it, and it's really easy to justify, because in the end, it's a pretty good thing. Well, what does God have to say about all of this? Here's what I want to do. I just want to look at, first, I want to look at the the, the first two commandments, and then I want to look at them in the context of uh, the beginning and the end of those first four commandments, all right? So God's words to us, I think, um, are this. Two things. First, I want, I want to notice that God put some firm boundaries around these things in our hearts with these first, really, three commandments. Um, he has some no's for us. No to that. I don't, I don't want that to be in your heart. In fact, the first three commandments, you shall have no other gods, you shall not make for yourself an image, and then verse 11, you shall not misuse the, Lord, uh, the name of the Lord your God. In the, in the literal Hebrew, they just begin with the word no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No other gods, no images, no misuse of my name. All that I say God is putting boundaries, saying, No, I don't want this for your hearts. First commandment you shall have no other gods before me, right? And what I want to suggest this morning is this is not primarily a philosophical issue. Um, He's not just getting at like, hey, polytheism versus monotheism. I mean, it'd be easy for us to read this and go, I'm a monotheist, right? Check, got the first commandment done. But it's not primarily a philosophical command. It is a covenantal command. He's saying, he's not just saying, this is about your view of the universe, that there's only one God. He's saying, no, this is about your allegiance. This is about your heart. I don't want to share you with other gods. I want to be 1st In your heart, I want you to treasure me above everything else in your life. If you want to enjoy those things, you can enjoy them for my sake. But if those things get in the way of our relationship, that's a problem. And I say no to that. You need to root those out of your heart because I want to reign as the one who is your ultimate desire and source of security and significance and satisfaction. So he's getting at what are those counterfeit gods. Root those out so that I alone reign in your heart and your mind. Number two, again, another no. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Right, And it would be easy for us to say, hey, I don't have any figurines in my basement that I light candles to and bow down to. I think I'm good with this one. But I think, no, the question is, what are those very tangible, created things that we can kind of get our hands around that we tend to go to instead of this invisible God who just speaks to us here, but we can't really control him, we can't get our hands around him. but what are those things that we cling to instead, whether it's money, whether it's food, whether it's a person, and all the things associated with those very tangible things rather than this one true creator, and God is saying, I don't want those things to get in the way. Verse nine, the Lord your God is a jealous God. I'm jealous for your heart. I don't want to share your heart's deepest affections. I want to be your deepest affection. All that to say, the first point about the commands is this, there's some firm boundaries. God says, I don't want rivals. (laughs) I don't want to share you. I want you to treasure me above all of these other things. So no, no, no. But where I want to end this is to recognize that there are some firm no's that God has put in place, but we need to see those no's within the, the context of this resounding yes that God is inviting us into in our relationship with him. I want you to, to say no to these things so that you can say yes to me and more fully experience your relationship with me in, in deeply enjoyable and satisfying and life-giving ways. And, and this is where I want to end this, by, by looking at how the Ten Commandments begins. Ten Commandments do not begin in verse 7 with a no. They begin in verse 6. These are the words that the Lord spoke to Israel at Sinai. Verse 6. Let's read it together, if you have a version right now. Ready? Verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of of the land of slavery, right? It doesn't, the 10 commandments don't start with a set of rules, with a set of no's. They actually don't start with law at all. They start with grace. That's where they start. And and interestingly, in the Hebrew version of, of this, verse six is actually the first of the ten. Um, they aren't, we call them 10 commandments. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the 10 words or the 10 statements. And statement number one in the Hebrew version is this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's statement number one. Then statement number two is what we would call commandment one and two. Verse seven through 10 is all subsumed into one commandment. But I actually like, there's something great about that. It starts with this reality. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, which is to say, even the 10 commandments start with grace, God is saying, remember, I'm your God. I rescued you. Remember, you were living in slavery in Egypt, right? This back-breaking labor under the hot Egyptian sun. And you were crying out. And I heard your cries and I had compassion on you. And so I came down and I, I delivered you. I brought you out of slavery. And then I brought you into the wilderness and I entered into a covenant with you. And guess what? I did all of that. Before you obeyed a single command of mine. You didn't even have the Ten Commandments when I did this. Because this relationship is not initiated by your obedience to me. It's initiated by my grace on you. And so grace comes first. The relationship comes first. And I want you to remember that. That I am the Lord your God. And, and if we, when we disconnect the Ten Commandments from verse 6, we miss the whole flavor of them. Then they just become this set of rules or these abstract principles that you're supposed to live by. But no, this is all about the relationship. <laughs> I've entered into a relationship with you. All these rules are our ways to preserve our relationship, ways to make our relationship deep and rich and intimate. And in case we forget verse 6, God actually gives us one of the other 10 commandments simply to remember, verse 6. So, quick question for you all. What commandment is given to us to remember that he rescued us from slavery in Egypt? Sabbath, right? The Sabbath commandment, one of the 10 is given simply so that we would remember that we were rescued. Look at verse 12. I love this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath just means stop, in case you wonder what that word means. On it, I love this, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, even animals get to Sabbath in Israel. Love that. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that you, your male and female servants may rest as you do. Why do we Sabbath? Here's why. Verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Sabbath day exists to remember that God brought you out of Egypt. Because guess what? When you were slaves in Egypt, guess what you never got to do? Rest. (laughs) You never got to take a day off. Seven days a week, back breaking labor. Again and again. You had no freedom from that. And God freed you from that. He made you free children of God. You are no longer slaves. And Sabbath is a day given to remember, to actually feel your freedom. And to remind yourselves we're not slaves anymore. We've been rescued by God and his grace. And so just imagine this new Sabbath is is, is unique to Israel. No other culture was was celebrating that. But imagine God saying, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt. And says, one day out of every single week, you guys are going to stop and remember that. One day out of the week is given just to take in this relationship. To soak in the freedom that you have in me. And we can do this even as New Testament Christians. That obviously, we weren't rescued from slavery in Egypt. But to soak in the, the freedom that we have in Christ. This is a day to preserve the relationship. To connect. It's like a date day with God once a week. Okay? And, and the commandments need to be seen within that context. Of, no, this is about a relationship with me of grace and joy and freedom. I want you to remember that. I want you to pursue that. I want you to look for that. These rules just exist to help pr- protect that. And so that's what I wanted to share this morning, that when we look at like the Ten Commandments, we need to hold these two things together in light of the idols of our hearts. Is, on the one hand, yes, there are some firm boundaries. Saying no, you need to say no, 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 no to these things. But that's always within the, in the context of, yes, but I'm, I'm doing that in order to say yes to God, to say yes to the covenant and to that relationship and to what he's done for me. And that is actually the greater I think, antidote to the idols in our hearts. Okay, I want you to think for a second. Like, what are, hopefully you identified some disordered attachments in you, right? Well, what do we do with that stuff? How do we we get at that stuff? Well, one way is just to start saying no to those things. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. That's probably not going to work very long. Not that some of that's not really important. But we need to set that in the context of, gosh, I've got to say yes to this. I've got to start creating space in my life to pursue God. To, that, that, that relationship has to become a source of joy for me and contentment and happiness and security and significance because if it doesn't, I'm never going to win this battle over here. These things will continue to, to grab onto my heart and that's where I'm going to go. And so there's always this twofold journey of saying no in order to say yes to something better and to, to try to walk with God in such a way that we can, we can, by experience, begin to realize you alone save. You alone can provide lasting joy, satisfaction, and salvation. These other things, as good as they are, they're cheap substitutes. They will, they will actually end up not bringing about freedom for me. You alone can bring freedom for me. That's what we're called into. That's what covenant, I think, relationship with God looks like seeing God's laws within the context of the relationship in his grace. Okay, so let me leave you with this thought. (laughs) We walk out today into the midst of the idols of our age. They're all around us, all right? We are being called in the midst of that into a covenant relationship with God uh, where we treasure him above all other things. And where his rules and principles exist simply to preserve that relationship of joy and freedom with him. So I'm going to leave you, I, I've been kind of ending sermons by contrasting cultural Christianity with covenant relationship. I want to do that again in two minutes, okay? Just to, so we're getting a sense of, you know, there's a lot of cultural Christianity out there, but I think we're being called into something a little different. So, and I'm applying this sort of to the, to the Ten Commandments and, and these rules and principles. Um, I'll do this real quickly. Here's a version of cultural Christianity that I see out in the world around me today. It's that people are living their lives, and really they, they simply see Christianity as a, set of, of simply as a set of principles and values or laws. Um, sort of these universal principles. These, a good ethical code. Right? This, is a, this is a great ethical code. This is a good way to live life. And they, they kind of look at the other ways of living life. And they, I, think, I think this is probably, this is the best way. These principles make sense. And if you apply these principles to your life, your life will most likely be better. Right? So it's these, there's these steps to a healthier marriage and steps to a more successful uh, work life or whatever. Um, but you basically find the principle and you, <coughs> you apply the principle. Right? You buy into the principle, and yeah, I'll apply those principles, and and this is... That's all that Christianity is. Um, Cultural Christianity just stops there, and that's what it is. It's about seeing these universal principles, applying them, because this is the way the world works. Um, I think there's a couple really big uh, misses in that kind of model of cultural Christianity. The the biggest miss of all is... um, you actually don't need a relationship with God to do any of that, okay? Like, you can look at principles and apply them to your life, and you do not need a relationship with God to do that. Anyone can do that. I mean, I can, I can read this book uh, every morning for 20 minutes, and I can look and search at it for life principles and apply those principles to my life. I can spend 20 minutes doing that and never have an encounter with God, right? That's just a great principles, and I then seek to apply them. I can spend 20 minutes in God's word and miss God in the process. And the other, I think, limitation of of that view is what tends to not get worked on in that view is this right here. Is those deeper underlying attachments and idols. When we just look at life as principles that we apply, we tend to not even think about these deeper things that we most treasure and that cling, you know, whether it's money, or whether it's achievement, whatever that is, we kind of just keep doing this, but we completely miss that. Those things go unaddressed, which is really the core issues in our lives, and so I think what what covenant relationship with with God is, yes, the principles, and the values, and the laws are there, but ultimately, it's it's about this relationship, and that relationship is about God's grace. Like, He rescued me. He stepped into my life, and and freed me, and now I'm, I'm walking with him, and there's this gratitude for what he's done. And at the heart of my life, what I'm trying to do most in my life is simply, it's a heart cry that says, I want to walk with you, Lord, <laughs> right? I'm not just trying to apply principles to my life. I, there's a person who I'm trying to learn to walk with. It's a little scary. It's a little intangible, but that's the journey I'm on. I'm wanting to walk with you in relationship with you side by side through this life. And in that, the heart is being addressed. We're saying, Lord, I got this stuff in here. Man, I care so much about certain things that I shouldn't care about. And so I need you to get inside there. I need you to start to free me from these idols. And I trust that as you begin to do that, and I'm going to fight you on that half the time, but I trust that as you begin to do that, I will actually experience greater and greater freedom because I've seen enough to know that you alone are the one true God and you alone save. And so everything else is going to be in the end a cheap substitute for you. So I'm not just trying to apply principles. I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to give my heart over to you, Lord. So we sing that song, Lord, you have my heart (laughs) or please take my heart, Lord. I need you to work in these deep places but I want to do this together with you. So, that was a great great closing thought there. Um, So we go out into the world full of these idols, but ultimately what we're being invited into is a walk with Jesus. It's a relationship. And it's a posture of, gosh, I got this stuff, Lord. I need you to get at this stuff, because if you don't get at this stuff, nothing's really going to change. And if you do get this stuff, like if if you become the the thing that I care about most and that I hunger for most, all the principles are gonna fall in line. (laughs) Like if this happens, this will happen. Let's pray. Lord, help us this week to hear again um, your invitation to life with you. a journey with you that goes beyond rules and principles, though it includes those, but ultimately is this journey of of relationship and a journey of the heart. Call us. Remind us of your fierce jealousy for our hearts uh, in a way that actually frees us to open up our hearts to you, to your transforming work. And we know that that will be a surgical procedure that will have painful elements. But help us to trust that um, with you there is always, in the end, true freedom and true fulfillment. So set us off on that, that trajectory of grace towards freedom with you and towards relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.